0: Phil Mackey, Judd Zogad. Don't you like to see these two bloodthirsty Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. scumbags going after each other? Mackey and Judd on fifteen hundred ESPN. Breeze has played pretty good for a long time. Um, you know, he's won a Super Bowl. He's been MVP. Um, you know, he's thrown for millions of yards. So I think all those things kind of sum up what he does. Yeah, Drew Brees is good
2: at football. I agree with Mike Zimmer. And remains very good at football. Yes. Which was the misperception, I think, as the Saints went to the run game for people to be like, well, yeah, now Breeze is, he's still good, but no, he's still that good.
0: Yeah, he's actually averaging, if my math is right, 10 fewer pass attempts per game this year than Mm -hmm. last year. So the Saints, as Drew Breeze gets older, giving him an actual defense for the first time in years, and also telling him, listen, listen. It, we can move the ball with you throwing 30 times a game. That's that's fine. Or 40 times a game. But let's give you some help here. Yeah. Let's make it so that you don't have to. It's kind of like Brett Favre in 2009. Hey, you'll carry us when needed, but we're going to hand off to this guy over here, and it's going to be kind of a 50-50 split. Uh, Drew Brees, I, I, I don't think this is hot take police worthy, but I would tell you that the difference between Drew Brees and Tom Brady, for instance, who's regarded as the greatest quarterback of all time, the difference isn't talent. It's actually defense and coaching and circumstances, and and you could probably play that out for the Dan Marinos. There's just a lot of great quarterbacks who are supremely talented in that 99th percentile that didn't have Bill Belichick and top 10 defenses every year, but let me go deeper on that, and you tell me what you think here. Coaching. Tom Brady jumped into a ready-made championship infrastructure in 2001, where Bill Belichick had everything honed defensively. That was a defensive-minded team the Patriots won the Super Bowl with in 2001. So he jumps in right away. Greatest coach of all time. He's got the defensive mastermind of those giant Super Bowl teams. Drew Brees, first head coach in the NFL. Remember who it was?
2: I was with the San Diego Chargers. So was it Schottenheimer? Mike Riley. Oh, yeah, from Oregon yeah, State. That okay. guy, the yeah. guy who got
0: fired from Nebraska a few weeks ago. Yep, That guy was Drew Brees' first head coach in the NFL. Uh, and then, you know, he he went on to eventually partner up with Sean Payton, who's been one of the better coaches in the league. So he definitely, he definitely hit the coach lottery to some extent with Sean Payton, but not to the same extent that Tom Brady did from day one with Bill Belichick. Hey, you're going to be sort of shackled here. You're not going to be an MVP caliber player. And you're going to win multiple championships before you become an MVP caliber player because the rest of the roster is amazing. Let's talk about defense. In 17 years, Tom Brady has been graced with top 10 defenses 14 times statistically. So almost every year for almost two decades, Tom Brady has had top 10 defenses. Drew Brees, only twice in the history of his career, including both New Orleans and San Diego. And on top of that, I brought this up with you and Kala earlier. In Drew Brees' career, he's been forced to score on average an extra touchdown per game mm-hmm. to make up for the gap in defense compared to Tom Brady. Mm-hmm. So, and, and you know, you want to talk historically, it's pretty likely that Drew Brees could wind up with more passing yards, more passing touchdowns, and a higher career passer rating than Tom Brady when it's all said and done. They're going to be very close in all those categories. So, but but yet there's there's a perception that there's a gap between Drew Brees and Tom Brady because of the championships. And I would argue that those are circumstances that are out of Drew Brees' control. So just remember, this weekend, all of those other things are in place for Drew Brees right now. Mm-hmm. So he might as well be Tom Brady at U.S. Bank Stadium on Sunday.
2: If if you, you watched him against the Panthers, it was <laughs> incredible. I mean, he, he completes passes where you yes, say there does. is no chance. Now, now the difference in Brees' career in the playoffs is intriguing in this. He is now 5-1 and one in home games which includes uh, one start. that The loss was with the Chargers. Besides that, so he has never lost a home game with the Saints in the playoffs, and in that time he has thrown 14 touchdowns, two picks, and has a 113.7 rating. On the road, it has not been the same. He is one and four in road playoff games, 10 touchdowns, five picks, 91 rating, and he has been uh, sacked 10 times. It's also fair to note, um, yes,
0: the Saints aren't as good on the road, but they did hang forty-seven on a playoff Buffalo team on the road. And,
2: and now, and the thing too that, that Breeze has had is, and and I think we have because he's sort of a jerk, and and his teams have have struggled at times. It's certainly been bad defensively until th- this year. I think we've had a tendency to forget or downplay Sean Payton. Sean Payton is a great play caller. When Sean Payton has the correct personnel to work with, he is fantastic. The Zimmer Payton. Matchup is fantastic. It's not sort of good. It's great. Uh, but Breeze's breeze is phenomenal. And the incredible thing about Breeze is if you recall in what was it 06, he he suffered an arm injury. And there were a lot of people at that time, much like with Luck right now, who thought he might be done. It was shoulder, I believe. I believe it was shoulder. Labrum, I think, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah, so he he was with the Chargers. They took Rivers at that time, and the big choice was: Are the Miami Dolphins going to trade for Dante Culpepper, Nick Saban? Yep, or Drew. B- and that, and if you want, if you want a defining moment of why Nick Saban went back to college football, it was that trade. Yeah, because if you go Breeze, it's an entirely different ballgame, an entirely different story, because they said Culpepper. And were completely wrong, and but they, I recall they were, I think, very close. It, it was basically trying to weigh: should we make the trade with the Vikings or the Chargers? And I think they were pretty close with yeah. both.
0: You know, it's it's kind of funny how in football, with fifty three guys on our roster, and the quarterback is the most influential, but we assign so much value to Super Bowl championships when ranking quarterbacks historically, and we we maybe ignore some of the other factors that help those guys get there. Um, I mean, Drew Brees and Dan Marino have combined for one championship, and and that's the reason why those guys are maybe perceived as being further down the pecking order compared to Ben Roethlisberger. Well, Ben's got two, so he's got. If you were to, if you were to pull all of Football America, all right, Ben Roethlisberger or Dan Marino, who's the best quarterback? You, you got to pick one of them. I think most people would pick Ben Roethlisberger because he has two Super Bowl rings. That's a good question. Yeah. I mean, it's not worthy of putting a pull up yeah. for us because who cares? But yeah, I'm not uh,
2: sure about but that. But the
0: argument would be like very split. In fact, I think it'd be like seventy thirty Ben Roethlisberger. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe I, I might be wrong on that. But but outside of those two championships, Dan Marino has a huge case in that conversation, and it's not his fault that he didn't have Pittsburgh Steelers defenses for a couple championship runs, like when Ben Roethlisberger was in his second year and had. Troy Polamalu and all these star defensive players all over the place. Yes. And so that's my case for Drew Brees and what the and 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 just to be clear, the reason why this ties back into the Vikings. This version of Drew Brees is Hall of Fame caliber and for the first time in years, the other pieces around him are Super Bowl caliber, yep. and that's why I think this is the most dangerous game, maybe even including Brady and Belichick at the end of the rainbow, that the Vikings are going to have on their slate.
2: What Collar told us is very scary, which is when Anthony Barr says we can have a guy covered perfectly, and we don't know that, that he can't complete the pass. Because that's the truth. Oh, that's, that's been Rodgers for years. But too. I mean, you, you think about the amount of quarterbacks in this league that we see, and some of them are, are pretty good, but... The amount who, if if the Vikings cover guys correctly, they're probably fine. The quarterback's not going to try and force the ball in. He can't. If he does, he gets picked. There are how many? Five who you say to yourself, we can cover a guy perfectly, and he still might beat us. I mean, that is a small, small list.
0: Yeah, I'll never forget the game from a few years ago. I think it was the end of the Leslie Frazier run there. Trying to think of who was playing. Oh, it was um, who was that? The guy who got burned against the Bears, number twenty-one, Josh uh, Vikings nickel cornerback, Josh Robinson, poor guy. Yeah, and there was a play, and this is what you're talking about, what Anthony Barr is referencing. But Aaron Rodgers, yes, Robinson was face guarding whoever the receiver was. I think it was Randall Cobb, and Rodgers. So Rodgers sees. A defender blanketing, like not in the in the vicinity, but literally like step for step and running in the same shoes of Randall Cobb. Mm-hmm. And it was 12, 15 yards down the field, maybe 20. Mm-hmm. And because he had his back turned, Rodgers thinks, oh, like he's not going to see the ball. So he throws it right by the ear hole. Yep. And you see a pair of hands go up. Boom. Randall Cobb makes the catch. Yep. And that's the level. There's, about, there's Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees, a little bit of Big Ben and maybe two or three others who even attempt that pass or think in their head, I can throw that pass. It's a pass. handful. And the at, Vikings will face at, at least two or three of those guys on the way to the Super Bowl, Yeah,
2: on the way to winning a Super Bowl. It's a handful at most
0: because mm-hmm.
2: that's impossible. And and that ta- that takes a lot of gall, too, because if you throw that, that pass and it gets picked off, most guys are in big trouble, right? You come back to the bench and the coach is furious. There's very few guys who have the ability the guts, the ability, and the cachet on the bench to come back and say, yeah, I threw the pass. Yeah. What's going to do? Uh, you guys have thoughts on
0: what this game is going to you know, encompass? What's going to happen? Are the Vikings going to beat the Saints? Why do you think one way or the other? We're getting a bunch of emails on this, too, from panicked Vikings fans. Are you a panicked Vikings fan looking at this game? 651-646-8255, 877-615-1500. Um, Let's come back. We can mix in some Vikings calls. We're going to get Wetmore in here to fix baseball at the bottom of the hour. The Timberwolves won a huge game last night. It was, according to plus minus, the biggest lopsided loss of LeBron James' career probably ever. I'm I, I'm guessing he it wasn't was, ever yes. even in high school or no. college. Well, he didn't go to college. A minus 39 at any point. Uh, so we can talk more about that as well. Mackie and Judd uh, want to tell you all about the Chris Lindahl team. And the experience I had almost a year ago, it was early February, after the Super Bowl, uh, when I sold my condo with a lot of help, Chris Lindahl team, absolute specialists when it comes to squeezing the most value out of the sale of your home. And uh, there's a myth when it comes to selling your home, too, that you're supposed to wait until that spring season is the hot season, uh, that you have to wait until after the big game, for instance to sell your home. Uh, that's not true. In fact, right now, there's high demand and actually less competition when it comes to selling your home. So get it on the market before everyone else does a few weeks early. All you need is the right team, the Chris Lindall team, the number one REMAX results team, and you get the right skill players, so to speak, with the Chris Lindahl team, which sells a home every nine hours for over the MLS average. In fact, the first two callers right now, the first two callers, to call 763-401-SOLD, we'll get a free staging package. 763-401-SOLD, the Chris Lindahl team. Prepare yourselves. Prepare yourselves. The Mackey and Judge Show rolls on. Bring it on! This is 1500 ESPN. Oh, well, they're always good. You know, I think, they're, you know, he's always been one of the tops in the league in first down offense, first, first downs. He's always, this year, he's second. Um, you know they've always been explosive. Uh, take their shots. Um, do a good job in the screen game. You know and he's got a Hall of Fame quarterback. Said that for a while. How nervous are you about this Saints matchup? Six five one six four six eight two five five eight seven seven six one five fifteen hundred. Want to read an email from loyal listener Linda who calls Ventline on a weekly basis. Sometimes she calls our show too. Linda in Wyoming. And you know, she's she's usually pretty spot on with her assessments when mm-hmm. she calls in. She's one of our smarter callers on Ventline. And A, she says we have jinxed the game because of the t-shirts, where we have we have finally unveiled our Vikings Voyage for Vindication shirts after two days of back and forth. Uh slash voyage. tee slash voyage, if you want to. And all the money goes to the American Cancer Society. So the shirts are fifteen bucks. And if you want, and we're going to only keep it open for two days. Yeah. So you got two days to buy these shirts. It's a small jinx. It's a, yeah. It's It's a a small window. It's a practice jinx, is what it is. Uh, So she's worried about the jinx. She said, I went back and looked at the scores of the last 20 Super Bowls. 10 of the 20 teams, uh, 10 of the 20 winning teams scored 30 plus points in the Super Bowl. Nine of those teams scored 20 plus points, and one team scored 17. Offense minded teams are much more apt to win than defense minded teams. This past weekend showed that three-fourths of quarterbacks who were first-time performers in the playoffs did not fare well. Um, She's worried about Case Keenum. I don't (laughs) think she makes any bad points here. The one thing I would say is, yeah, the water level rises in the postseason, but this is also a defense that when you think the water level should rise, Matt Ryan and Cam Newton and all these big-time quarterbacks, they still keep the water level very low. They've allowed fewer points than any team in the NFL. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't think you're going to get the defense that gave up 17 total points in its last three games to Brett Hundley and Mitch Trubisky. Like, you're facing better teams and better quarterbacks. Right. You're not pitching shutouts against the New Orleans Saints and eventually against maybe the Falcons and the Patriots. But, yeah, I mean, the inexperience of Keenum and also just the nature of some of these 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 playoff games where the, the scores flow into the 20s mm-hmm. you're going to have to be playing at a peak peak level even at home against these teams
2: two words come to mind if you're a viking fan how do you how do you utilize or use the trust that you have in this team right now especially defensively versus the trepidation that you feel as a vikings fan period that to me is the balancing act here because you can you can look at this on one hand and say, okay, calm down a second. This defense is really good. Offensively, you don't need a ton. You you need the quarterback not to screw up and lose the game, but you're you're never you're never going to go to case and say, win this game. So defensively, you're confident. So that's the trust. But then on the flip side of that is you sit down and think the trepidation of being a longtime Viking fan. And I can't blame those people. I really, we've all seen it. I can't blame you. And as silly as it might be to talk about jinxes and curses and team history, guess what? When, when it's been hammered home enough in absolutely crucial games in 98 and 2009 and Blair Walsh, at some point in time, you think to yourself, okay, th- it makes no sense to give this stuff credence, but it's impossible not to. So to me, it's trust and trepidation pulling at each other.
0: Yeah, it, it's... There's almost no there's almost no way where you're gonna feel good as a Vikings fan whether whatever generation you grew up in. If you watch the games in the seventies or if you're like me and you were born in the eighties and you didn't you know, you just have the experience of the championship game Heartbreak. There's almost no way you're gonna watch these playoff games starting on Sunday without nervous energy. No way. I and mean, I don't even know, like I'm sure that's the case even for Patriots fans that have a ton of rings, but there's probably a lot less nervous energy uh, I don't, than there will be when you're watching the Vikings on
2: Sunday. You see and and this w- whether this is smart or not, I think if you're a Boston sports fan or you're a Patriots fan, I think your starting point is hubris. No way we're going to lose. We're the Patriots. We never yeah. And now you might lose and then you're disappointed, but I think your starting point with a, with an organization like that is hubris. You're so confident. Here, you keep thinking to yourself, oh, my God, I've seen this before. Mm-hmm. And and I, I tweeted the question on Monday, how, how angst-ridden are people right now in anticipation for a game on Sunday? And I got 60 responses. And they're legitimate. They're not people joking around.
0: Yeah, uh, 651-646-8255-877-615-1500. This happened last night. If you were glued to the national championship game and— you uh, you forgot that the Wolves were hosting LeBron James and the Cavs. Tyus Jones, picking the pocket, has to beat LeBron up the floor and says, I just stuck it down, King James.
2: Final seconds, they've got time to try to get off a shot here. Butler spins away against his ex-teammate. Got it.
0: Exclamation mark. That's what dominating first half by Minnesota. That, Here's what, what, that oh. was awesome. Oh, my God. It's such a bad shot, but it was amazing. It was. That's the thing. You're watching him dribble that clock out at the end of the third quarter. End of the third quarter, right? Yeah. Or first half. First First half. half, Second That was first half. Yep. And uh, so he's dribbling it out, and you're thinking, dude, you have 20 seconds to run something here. It's just like the end of the game in Brooklyn. And, oh, God, he's going to pull up from long range. And he cashed it, so it was awesome. But um, I don't want to complain about that because that was awesome. Last night doesn't prove that the Wolves can beat the Cavs or top teams in a seven-game series because the Cavs would be much more engaged. You're not going to be up by 40 points on a LeBron team in the playoffs. They're going to be more engaged. But it does tell you that when they throttle down the Timberwolves, Mm -hmm. they can give the best teams in the NBA an absolute run for their money. You know what? San Antonio, if Kawhi Leonard's not going to play... The Wolves are going to beat you. At least they did once this season. Mm -hmm. Uh, We'll find out against Golden State a few times. That's going to be an interesting matchup of kind of nose to the grindstone, long two-point jumpers, and Jimmy Butler against flashy Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, shoot 33-pointers a game. But that game last night didn't prove anything, but it made you think, huh, if they get into the playoffs, which they should, barring an injury—
2: maybe they can make a little bit more noise than than we thought a few weeks ago. Don't you think, though, that wins, that there are certain wins that this year that are in the right step wins? OKC early on, What mm-hmm. was that game three or something like that? And they, they went that game at the buzzer. To me, that was, uh, they never win this game. That's That's good. Last night, same thing. And last night, what I liked about it was the convincing nature. I'm telling you. I don't remember the last time I've been to a Wolves game where, where the Wolves got a significant lead, and I thought, they're not going to lose this lead. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, they are they are absolutely cruising. And, and you can see it's been a slow process, and I, I know it drives people crazy, but you can see this starting to work in some ways. The fact that Carl Anthony Towns has now decided he, he's on board defensively is enormous. It's absolutely huge. Andrew is going to have good games, and he's going to have Wiggins games, and he's going to drive you nuts at times and he can score. But if Carl Anthony Towns now decides that he's in lockstep with Butler defensively, that is such a huge step.
0: Uh, even Wiggins has been much more active defensively. He he's I think he's tipping more passes. and uh, i don't I don't get impressed. like last night, he hit a bunch of long two point jumpers, which bloated his point total. I don't get impressed by that because I don't think long two point jumpers are his way to scoring a bunch of points in the NBA right now. He's just not he's not efficient at shooting long jumpers or th- even threes. He shoots in the low thirty percent range. He's among the worst from that range. But when I see him hanging out under the basket, I'm gonna cut down in here because my defender had to rotate. I'm gonna go to the low block, which he's doing more take a pass and get a dunk. Yep. Or I'm gonna drive in, go spin cycle on somebody. And get to the free throw line, even though he's only shooting like 65% from there. That'll go up at some point. Um, Or kick it out. That's what I love to see. And last night, he's engaged. It was the Cavs. He's going to play... And it's almost an indictment on him that he does get up for those Cavs games in year four, but he can't get up for some of the other games that the Wolves need to make the playoffs for the first time in 15 years, but will take the step forward from last
2: night. Now, Tibbs was asked about that after, after last night's game, and his point actually was that he thinks Wiggins in, let's say, the last five or six games has started to play pretty well. In his mind, he's starting to to do those things. And I I do think for what Tibbs is demanding, this was going to take time. It's just that there were some games that were so atrocious. The Brooklyn loss didn't really bug me that much. I mean, it's a a game that you would like to win, but I didn't look at that game and say, oh, man, this is awful. There have been awful losses. And those are the ones that disturb you when they lose games and you think, not only did they not take a step in the right direction, they took two steps backwards.
0: Well, and and there's, as you dig into... The reasons why they lose some of those games, and I don't have the Brooklyn box score in front of me, but and I'll bring it back to Wiggins. And there's other things here, like th- there's games where Towns Olay's on defense or where Jimmy Butler takes a bunch of bats. Like they're not, it's not just Wiggins when they lose, but when Wiggins goes three for 13 and scores nine points, let's say, and only grabs three rebounds and dishes out one assist, that should never happen, ever. If you're having one of those, and this is where Jimmy Butler differentiates, and I get it, he's been in the league a lot longer, and he's and he's got the advantage of uh, of a lot of things, perspective. But if you're having one of those three for thirteen nights, identify it, and then go do other things. And sometimes he's giving you that more often. Where okay, I, my shot's a little bit off. I'm not gonna ha- I'm not gonna score thirty tonight. I'm just not feeling it. I'm just it's one of those three for thirteen nights. So instead of it being a three for thirteen night where you're. Only going to grab a couple rebounds and you're just going to do nothing, maybe play some defense. Mm -hmm. Go do what Jimmy Butler does, which is get to the free throw line 12 times to get at least an extra, let's say, eight points. And then go grab seven rebounds and dish out five assists and a couple of steals. Yeah. So that you're helping facilitate the success of your teammates.
2: The the thing with with Butler that's so much fun to watch is, is you knew he was a star in Chicago and you knew the fundamentals of why but until you watch him on a game by game basis you have no appreciation like when you watch this guy now and you see the crap work he does like the the stuff he does the guy's for the most part if they're stars probably say not me. Yeah. That's what's so impressive. They're, I mean, Butler even on nights when Butler doesn't score or or look like a star, he makes massive contributions. There was a possession last night, I think it was in the second quarter if I recall, and the Wolves
0: were about to blow the roof off the arena. They were they were, the lead had gone out to like 20 and they were trying to make it 25-27 and LeBron James brings the ball up past half court. And it's a regular season game, it's early January. And you know part of the reason why the game played out the way that it did is because the Cavs and LeBron saw the game that way Ah, right. I mean we played Boston a few nights ago and like whatever. It's the Western Conference game It's and we're not gonna turn it on every night, yeah. and that's fine But LeBron dribbles the ball past half court and Jimmy Butler meets him like five steps beyond half court Like slapping the floor in his face. Yeah, yeah. and LeBron's probably thinking dude chill It's not April, but Jimmy Butler's saying no this is a playoff game for us, uh-huh. and we're going to treat it that way. And if you don't, you're going to get beat by 30-plus points. Yeah, But I, I saw that, and I was like, holy cow. That's him. LeBron doesn't want to be— de- like, LeBron is geared up for that in May and June, where every possession is life and death. It's the playoffs, and Draymond's in your face. But I think that's part of why Jimmy Butler has won seven straight games against LeBron, because he's in LeBron's face as he crosses half court right. in the middle of January.
2: But that that's why, why Tibbs— wanted Butler so badly, not only because he's a great player, but because he wants Wiggins and Towns and those guys to see that. Because I'm sure they were th- thinking at first from Jimmy, what the hell are you doing? And at some point in time, it, it's either you're going to follow along with what he's doing or you're going to look really lazy.
0: He's so unique just because of his playmaking and his you know he could always figure things out too like uh, probably doesn't get enough well I think he does get credit <laughs> I mean that LeBron is LeBron you know you, you try to make him work and uh, you know what he's done with that team and they're you know they're going through you know getting Isaiah back is huge for them so they're still going through an, another adjustment but they're they're a terrific team and you know, they miss some shots that they normally make, uh, so that's part of it. Yeah, and Isaiah Thomas got ejected. That was horrible, that that lariat, the clothesline Andrew Wiggins. Okay, on re- it, looked, it looked intentional to me.
2: Okay, on replay, it didn't to me. That's, that's what I was going to ask. But I was watching it in, in arena, so I didn't see as many angles as you so, did.
0: So when I, when I saw the first couple replays, I thought the same way you did, which is, oh, he's just going, he's trying to slap the ball. I watched it again this morning. Yep. The ball was down by Wiggins' waist. And Isaiah came up, started his swat above the ball, yep, and went high, yep.
2: It was oddly so, so dirty. So you think he brought it up on purpose? The arm up on purpose,
0: oh, and then he got he got ejected. So the right. refs obviously agreed.
2: Yeah. Here's the sad thing: as long as Wiggins was not hurt, which he was not, I don't think I was actually happy to see it.
0: He's, what to, to see Wiggins get to his see him get yes,
2: yes, because he is a wake up type of guy. I think stuff like that helps a guy like that. Well, they should just have a jack-in-the-box or
0: something that sits courtside, like with one of those, like, boxing gloves that comes just out. Like, Time to wake up, Andrew. check in, someone just puts the jack-in-the-box and just punches I was him happy, in the side I of the I was face. happy
2: to see it. I'm not kidding. Everson Griffin on the sidelines slapping him around.
0: You can't handle—they can't handle you. They can't handle <laughs> you. Let's fix baseball. Why? It's not just the Twins. No one is signing, and spring training starts in, like, a month. We're going to fix it. Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad.
2: What's wrong with it? I love the fact that people can't stand it. Yeah. A lot of people can't stand it. It's great.
0: Mackey and Judd.
2: If you'd vote for Donald Trump, you can't stand it. Yes. Right. Yes. You're convinced this is the worst thing ever to (laughs) happen in sport. On
0: 1500 ESPN. (laughs) All right. Derek Wetmore's in here. And Judd and I have to air a few grievances. Festivus is over, right? But we still have grievances to air. Yes. We were all excited this offseason because the Twins went to the postseason for the first time in years. We were so excited to speculate on all the baseball hot stove rumors and the trades and the free agents flying off the shelves. Nothing's happening. Like, there's 15 or 20 top free agents. I have a list of all the guys still out there. All the top pitchers are still available. Um... In fact, the list of guys: Mike Mustakis, Jay Bruce, Jonathan Lucroy, Greg Holland, J.D. Martinez hasn't signed yet. Eric Hosmer hasn't signed yet. Todd Frazier. I could keep going. Uh, can we poke MLB with a stick here, Derek? Why oh,
2: can we can we do something to incentivize in a big way movement in future years? Like this is so baseball to, to me too. I mean, the, the complaint about baseball is what pace of play and it's too slow. And it's true. And this this is. I mean, because of how they're structured, football, basketball, hockey, all have ways to incentivize immediate action. Baseball is the one where you sit there and you're like your top players don't sign. I mean, th- this is this is truly disappointing, and I'm not I'm not joking around. I am truly disappointed as you're, a baseball. Oh, you're not fan. joking around. Just to be clear, I'm not, I'm not joking. Okay. He, he, he does, does, does not. not, joke not about this sports. is not. This is not a bit. This is not an attempt at right. trying to be – this is this is disappointing to have nothing going on.
1: Well, I'll take the bait, Judd, because I, as a as a baseball analyst who just planned on spending all offseason saying, like, was this a good move? Was this not a good move? I've instead had to resort to, well, are there going to be moves? What's it going to look like? I was telling Phil off mic yesterday, Judd, this sets up one of two things if you're a Major League Baseball, if you're a fan of Major League Baseball. All these good players, useful players, not just the top-end guys like you, Darvish, and J.D. Martinez. There's a lot of good players out there that aren't in that top-end. So this sets up one of two things with, like, five weeks to go before spring training. Either you're going to get to spring training, and teams are still going to play the waiting game and be like, no, no, four years, you take it or leave it, and and it's going to be this game of chicken that extends out into March, maybe into April, who knows? Or, and this is what I'm kind of hoping for— These next five weeks are about to get crazy that as soon as teams hit that, whoa, whoa, in 30 days, we're reporting to spring training and players and their agents start to get that little tick of anxiety where they say, hang on a sec, but I'm going to have a job next year, right? And the agents are like, man, this—it's a tough landscape. I'm not sure what's going to happen. I think that might set off a flood of moves, and that's frankly what I'm really hoping for.
0: Yeah, but I—so I'm, I'm with Judd on. I mean, we're not—I think we all agree that it's been really lame so far. The winter meetings didn't produce as many fireworks as usual. Even uh, you had a couple big signings and moves, but um, I think baseball is having a problem fighting for national relevance compared to the NBA is on fire the last 10 years. Yeah, And football has dipped, but football is still the most popular sport and the most viewed sport in this country. And you have a chance in the offseason here to still capture some attention and to, to make some noise. And I think the two reasons why Baseball Free Agency increasingly moves more slowly. Number one, it opens first week in November, usually. It's like five days after the World Series ends and and then spring training games don't start until March 1st and some guys would say oh, I could still like like you just said Derek I could still hold out into spring training games and get my own training so it's like a 4 month open window yeah before get, there's no forced deadline really for 4 months after it starts right so if you don't sign early there's no real reason to sign until late so you got this 3 month dead period of December into January into even February where guys just don't feel the the need to sign if they sure. haven't already. But the most important reason, I think, why free agency moves more slowly in baseball compared to, say, the rush of NFL and NBA where it's like the first day and everyone is, is signing on the first day. There's no salary cap and there's no max individual player cap like a max contract for an NBA player. So the sit-downs between GMs and agents turn into stare-downs. In the NBA, all right, hey, Wiggins is about to be a free agent. We think he's a max player. Uh, GM Tom Thibodeau and and Scott Layden, what do you think? And the answer is either yes, we agree he's a max player, or no, in which case they'll go to some other team when he's a free agent Mm -hmm. to get the max contract. In baseball, there's no max. It's just, hey, uh, blank canvas. We think Eric Hosmer is a five-year, $80 million player. So here's the problem
1: the way I see it, and and what you just laid out is correct. And, And Judd, I think this speaks to your point, too. About it's slow. What can we do about it? Yes. Here's the problem you can't do a damn thing about it because if you are the league, maybe you care about this exciting period where the, you just mentioned it. I can think of where I was for like each of the last three or four big NBA days, whether it's trade deadline day or whoa, free agency bonanza. Like those are memorable for me. Twitter explodes, NBA Reddit's awesome. Like just in terms of following the league. It's it's tough to top that excitement, including like the NBA Finals. That same dynamic doesn't exist in baseball. And there's two reasons for it, and I I don't know that you can fix it. Number one, if you're the league, you want this sort of free agency bonanza. You want it to be exciting. You want to be the talk of the town all winter long. Well, you're probably going to be dominated by football in those months. And if you can't incentivize teams to move and and you know make a splash like a John Carlos Stanton mm-hmm. or a Shohei Otani. You can't force those things to happen because you can't force teams to act. That's part one of the problem. Part two, if you're the players agency or the MLB Players Association, you would never sign up to something that might cost your clients money. Something that says like, okay, hey, uh, MLB free agency is going to be December 1st until January 1st. If you don't sign in that window, you can't sign until May 1st or whatever. That's
0: not what you would do. In fact, hold on. I know mister Fixit has a full notebook of things that he would do. Yeah, here. I just so give pull him out his lawyer pad. Well, I've <laughs> got, got the key He's got the legal here. pad, right? Okay, yeah, I've got it right <laughs> here. Let's Let's get to it when we come back here. because we, In fact, we're going to tag team mister Fixit because I think Judd and I are in, in, on the same page here. Mackie and Judd with Wetmore from the Touch Em All podcast. Phil Mackie. He's pretty irreplaceable for us. He does a lot of things that go unnoticed. Judd Zogad.
2: Such a good dude. I have the utmost respect for him.
0: Mackie and Judd on 1500 ESPN never push a good man too far jackie chan and pierce Brosnan star in the explosive action thriller the foreigner from the director of casino royale don't miss the film critics are calling sharp exciting and
2: compelling own the foreigner now on blu-ray dvd and digital and head to the 1500 espn stream player for details on how you can win your own
0: blu-ray copy Thank you, Dave Harrigan. Wetmore's in here from the Touch'em All podcast. And we're mad at baseball because and the Twins because no one is signing free agents. All of these top free agents are still on the market. There's no activity. It's a staring contest. You, Darvish, Lorenzo Cain is still out there. Arietta, Cobb, Lance Lynn, J.D. Martinez. There's a bunch of relievers. Uh, Greg Holland, Mike Moustakis. So, Judd, the floor is yours, Mr. Fix-It. How would you inject more entertainment into the baseball offseason?
2: Okay, so so first of all, uh, I'm thinking about this. If I'm if I'm Manfred, the Commissioner of Baseball, I'm thinking about this because I have a network, right? And and so if I'm football, baseball, or hockey, I I also have channels like a TV network. uh, Yes, a TV network, and those channels get off season programming that's really rich uh, via via the fact that when the free agency period opens, guys immediately start signing and people thus tune in baseball does not have that but they have the 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 channel so uh derek i think the word forced that, that you used before the break as far as forcing i think that's the wrong word i think what we need to use is the word incentivize forced creates conflict if i'm baseball and i go to the players association and i say you we, here's what we're going to do and we have to do this that to me creates unnecessary conflict mm-hmm. what i want to do is find a way to incentivize immediate action for when the period opens and and my starting point is it's always been a given that that the free agency period begins right after the World Series ends. I don't think you need to, to do that. you're coming off your marquee event. the excitement from that is there. What I would do is find a way to certainly slow build a little bit more. So I don't need to and end the World Series let's say on uh Thursday, and then guys start to declare on, let's say, Monday. I would look for a way to incentivize both sides here to come to an agreement where where they can say for, for the, the good of the attention and to create that excitement, we have a starting date. It doesn't have to be so close to the day after the World Series ends. So I like the idea
0: of potentially delaying the start time to free agency because— you've got this three-and-a-half, four-month window where if guys don't sign right away and the winter meetings are like three weeks after free agency opens, uh, then there's no reason to sign until later. If you condense that window, and that's where basketball and hockey have this six-month regular season and then a two-month playoff run. And so it's it's actually guys sign earlier because the contracts are more obvious to begin with because there's a salary cap and there's individual max. There's no negotiation for some of these guys. Uh, Kyrie Irving, I'll take the max. Okay. Like, there's literally no negotiation outside mm-hmm. of just some of the little details and the terms and things. Uh, so, if you started baseball free agency, let's say on January 1st or something, and you had like a five week sprint until free agency, teams would spend the first two months, maybe even there's a schedule release in those first two months or something. There's other things you could do to garner attention. um, And then there'd be a five-week window before spring training. All right, the window's open. You've done two months of research on these guys, and here you go. And maybe Hmm. there's a tampering period. Hmm. I think that would create more action in a smaller window of time. Of course, you'd then be competing with NFL playoffs, yeah, and baseball or and basketball and hockey regular seasons, and college football national championship and college basketball is in effect. So I get that, but it would it would force more action in a smaller window how do you incentivize Judd the teams for
1: acting earlier let's say you do reduce it to that window and and by the way we're going to have a pretty interesting test case here to know if we like this sprint to spring training our our teams our fans is major league baseball as an entity are we going to like the mad dash to spring training because you're about to see it Mm. so we'll figure out yes or no was that good or bad for the game but how do you incentivize teams from then loading up on the front part of it and say, okay, you want to get a John Carlos Stanton deal done? Better do it in November. Or you want to sign J.D. Martinez? Man, that's got to get done before Christmas if you can make it happen. I don't know how you'd go about doing that. In,
2: in what way, then? So You, you argued are you are you for incentivizing... That, that you could make
1: tra- that you... No, I'm just saying, you argued for incentivizing the front... Like, hey,
2: right. get action. So so when it starts, yeah, how, how do you incentivize that? But What's like with, the incentive? But like with Phil's plan, if, if you gave teams... A tampering period, let's say, um, right around December 20th. Sure. And and then they they had the time to gear up to know who th- they were going to pursue. I think that would create a natural system in which teams might be, be more aggressive. Well, that would be the, the problem. The
0: word, my strategy is the word forced that you were going away from. I'm forcing you to wait until January 1st mm-hmm. to sign free agents. That's but my strategy.
2: I'm... I'm saying I don't like the word forced as far as, as the relationship between the league and the players association goes, because that creates conflict, Yeah, and that's not not So you want to create positive. a positive so, so in,
0: carrot instead of a stick.
2: What I want to do is I want to incentivize the process to move to create excitement. How,
0: sure. What's the incentive? How do you incentivize?
2: Because I, I mean, by, by, I agree. By, but... by waiting, I think that that does that, or at least I think it helps. Mm. The issue now is free agency starts. And nobody really cares. And you might have some right. guys sign, but right now there's no incentive to act quickly. Right. Like so, a, If you're so, a baseball
1: front office, you would
0: you'd be better off to wait and yes. let the prices go. I, down. The only way to to in, uh, force incentivize. I'll use Judd's positive phrase. Incentivize. The only way to incentivize. Yeah. The only way to incentivize. Let's say uh, early to mid November movement is to make the negotiations easier for teams and players. When Eric Hosmer hits free agency in baseball, and there's no capped amount that teams have to be forced to spend under, mm-hmm. so teams can't say, "Hey, Eric, we love you, but like we only have thirty million dollars in the cap, as we can go, We'll yeah. go to the top for you." Yeah, Cause so right. cause so if you're Air, if you're Scott Boris, you're constantly probing every team saying, "There's no salary cap, mm-hmm. my client, two more years, fifty million more dollars," mm-hmm. and and you and you know that there's nothing stopping you, and that's why the, these deals get. Stuck in stalemates. Cause they're so the only real way to incentivize or force early action is for the decisions to be more obvious, like they are in the NBA and the NHL. All right, well, Patrick Kane's a free agent. What's the most money we can give him under the cap? Mm-hmm. Done deal, right? That Mike Trout's a free agent, and Scott Boris or whoever his agent is is literally gonna sit there until someone gives him if you a billion dollars,
2: right, if you took but if you took away month's period of time where teams now couldn't sign guys, I do think that that you would create an urgency there. That's the biggest thing now. There is no urgency whatsoever. Yes. I, I can talk to you forever. Hell, you can sign in March and I'm fine. Yeah. There is there is no sense of of urgency whatsoever now. And that's what I'm talking about is try is is can you create at least a perception? Can you ramp that up? Can you yes, to create a perception? And it doesn't do any good to me to to have these guys on the open market for a month plus period of time in the dead of winter when they're clearly not gonna sign up.
1: Sure. I kind of do like the whole speculation period where every team's bloggers and reporters and analysts can say, Oh, wouldn't uh wouldn't you Darvish look interesting in a twins uniform? You know, that's that's fun, but it's fun to a point. Like You get to a certain spot where you're just like, uncle, mm-hmm. I've had enough speculative you, Darvish, rumors. You know, what's the phrase? Either crap or get off the pod. It's about time, it. if you're the Twins or other teams, but the system is not set up for that right mm-hmm. now. You are not better off for jumping on January 9th than you are saying like, ah, okay, we'll see what's out there and play this game of financial chicken. Here, here's the main reason why. This might not be unique to the soft season, but I think it could be. You know who the good teams are. In the American League, you know who the good teams are. And you know that the Kansas City Royals aren't closing the gap by signing you Darvish. That's That gap between the Indians and the Royals is just too great. So I don't know if that, You know, So the Royals basically take themselves out of that bidding. They're not driving up the cost. Then you can look at the luxury tax and say, well, maybe the Yankees and the Dodgers don't want to make that move because they'll be penalized for it. And they could just be a great team without signing you, Darvish. Okay, you start taking suitors off the board for these big mega dollar deals. And suddenly the competition is sort of pull out of the market, and I, I don't think that's unique to this offseason, but I think it's one major reason why you're seeing, especially the big names, still on the board in mid-January. And even
0: if there's only one or two teams, though, which I guarantee, I guarantee for Eric Hosmer, there's only like one or two teams in the bidding at this point. But even with only one team, because there's no salary cap, Bit the, agent can, the agent can continue uh-huh. to drive prices up. Well, I have a terrible analogy to wrap this up for you guys. Alright, let's pretend that, uh, that Restaurant menus didn't have prices and every food item was a negotiation. So you could walk in and you knew what you thought a steak was worth, but they might think a steak is worth more because hey, they cook it better. Hey, mm-hmm. we cook it better. We're gonna we're gonna make that steak better. So if you had to go into a restaurant and, and 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 restaurant menu items are players, like in NHL and NBA where I know what LeBron James is gonna cost me if he becomes a free agent. Like he's gonna cost the max. He's gonna cost what a filet mignon would cost. But if I went into a restaurant, oh uh there's no there's no menu uh prices on there's no food prices on this. Well I think a steak is twenty bucks and they say, ah, it's actually forty. I'm gonna go to another restaurant. Mm-hmm. I might go to restaurants for six hours until I starve to death trying to negotiate. Like if you just tell me what right. does it cost for Patrick Kane? What does it cost for Nick Punto? I'll pay it. In baseball, until they get a salary cap, which they won't, baseball's never gonna uh, that's why you have to condense it. So hmm. Yeah, I don't know. If I got a bad steak, I might just send it back.
2: The I most, mean, I'd be tempted the the to anyway. Um, the most important thing is baseball cannot continue to, to just say, well, that's us. You know, baseball people can't continue to say, well, it, it's our mm. system and it works this way. Yes, it works this way, but guess what? You're boring people to death again. Your your pace of your off season sucks. Yeah, see the you. pace of your game sucks. It is true. Let's so, let's do something but I mean let's look at this yeah. examine it and let's do something about it and I don't want to hear from the traditionalists who are like, "Well, but it, this is what makes me." No, no, sucking is not what makes yeah. you great.
1: You shouldn't have invited a traditionalist on your show then because I don't think they should change a damn thing. <laughs> All right. I just think this this conversation goes way deeper than trying to fix it in a short segment and one of the main reasons why is because any fix you could propose like to the restaurant, oh, just put prices on okay you know who's costing that costs money that costs the chef money not the restaurant owner get the chef paid